Welcome to MAP, the bi-weekly market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. Mars makes it as easy as possible for you to get your pharmaceutical, medtech or digital health product to the market and of course get the price it deserves. My name is Stefan Walzer, I'm the founder of Mars and a health economist by training and working in the fields of market access, reimbursement, pricing and health economics already since 2004. And now let's learn about the market access and reimbursement systems around the globe. Today's topic is Israel and its healthcare system. Israel is comparable to some other quite large countries, a small country with just over 8 million citizens, so maybe comparable to countries like Switzerland, Netherlands, Austria, and a modern market-based economy with a comparable level of cross-domestic product per capita to the average in the European Union. So also just because of that kind of environment, it's quite interesting to have a deeper look how market access and reimbursement really works in Israel. Israel has had universal health coverage since the introduction of a progressively financed statutory health insurance system in 1995, so already some years ago. All citizens can choose from among four competing non-profit-making health plans, which are charged with providing a broad package of benefits stipulated by the government. This is already a very important consideration when going further into the discussion, how does that really link between, let's say, a decision by the government, which is probably more the regulatory pathway, and then finally the reimbursement and price question for the health plans. Overall, for example, the OECD, but also other um, different institutions have concluded that the Israeli healthcare system is quite efficient. Health status levels are comparable to those of other developed countries, even though Israel spends a relatively low proportion of its cross domestic product on healthcare, which is less than around 8%. So, also a good proportion of that is then delivered and financed privately. So, this is the, the background of the Israeli healthcare system, but ultimately, we know that there are different, let's say, reimbursement systems as well available. It's rather a kind of NHS system, which doesn't sound so because we have four healthcare plans. Is it more something like a pragmatic approach like the Germans have, even though that they have around still 100 statutory uh, health insurance um, funds? Uh, or is it rather something where maybe the Austrians want to go with, which is as well comparable in terms of size, in terms of population, in terms of number of health insurance funds, finally um, probably achievable. Um, but ultimately, it's still the kind of question, what is the process? So how does that really look like? What is the registration? What are the core drivers of that? Before then, a pharmaceutical company could, could they really decide on the reimbursement pathways? How could the price be set and to what and which kind of countries, for example, and what comparators are then being looked for within the process. I will discuss all of that today with a very special guest, Mirel Stelian. I mean, he is nowadays in Denmark, but he has a tremendous experience within the Israeli healthcare system. 
So he has worked in the Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Development in Israel. Um, he was, for example, the Senior Director of Budget, Pricing and Work Plans, which is probably not directly so much obviously related to the Israeli healthcare system. But then he moved to the uh, Ministry of Health in Israel, where he was also the Director of Pricing and Economic Re Regulations. And furthermore, he was then also the Director of Hospital Services Procurement Department and also the Director of Economics and Business Development within the Loimit Health Services. So he really brings the various perspective from the Israeli healthcare system. And I'm really looking forward now to a deep discussion on the healthcare system in Israel and obviously also how this could potentially be levered maybe as well from a European healthcare system's perspective. Good. Good morning, Mirel. Great to have you here. Very special topic today. I think um, we... Let's leave a bit the the Dach community and let's say also mainland Europe, if I want to call it like that. And we want to discuss today about Israel. I think from my perspective, a really pragmatic and also quite innovation-driven country. Could you maybe just, because I guess most of our listeners are not experts in the Israeli healthcare system. So could you maybe describe in a nutshell, but also the kind of typical parts of the healthcare system in Israel from your perspective, Mira? Um, yes, sure. I would say generally a good health system with good like metrics of, um, of health uh, compared to other um, uh, countries to the average in the OECD. Um, and I think it's a, a lot about the structure of the health system. Uh, the health system in Israel is um, I would say mainly three parts when looking at the public system. Uh, you have the regulators who are the Ministry of Health and Ministry of Finance. You have four health funds that get all of the budget or most of the budget uh, of the public health uh, to them according to a capitation, according to the size of how many the, of the citizens they insure. And you have the hospitals, uh, general hospitals, psychiatric hospitals, geriatric hospitals, and others, uh, that most of their uh, budget comes from uh, the health funds that, uh, that purchase these hospital services from them. So this kind of uh, structure uh, creates competition because the health, uh, the health funds, the HMOs, kind of compete between them a, a bit about uh, the um, how many people they uh, insure, uh, and although there's a universal health uh, coverage in Israel, and the regulators uh, decide on what is in the basket uh, of services, and it's a good basket of services, um, still the health funds um, compete a bit about um, how many days you'll actually wait to meet a doctor. Or, uh, um, some specialist or how long you'll wait for a procedure in a hospital. And so there is some competition between the health funds and a lot of the competition is between the hospitals to get the funding from the health funds. So, and that's also regulated, but still there is competition um, and negotiation between the health funds and the hospitals. So, the health funds and the hospitals also want to be uh, pioneers with a lot of innovation to give the better service. Uh, so implementing new technology, 
uh, and uh, creating collaborations with uh, startups or uh, with pharma companies, meta companies, some research, those sort of things. So all of these things between the competition and between between the competition and the innovation, um, it brings a, a really good results in the quality of the health system. And on the other hand, it's uh, and this is something that as an economist I like, it's uh, very cost efficient. Again, looking at metrics of uh, comparing to the OECD, it's something like around 9% of uh, the GDP. That's the expense on average in the OECD. And in Israel, it's 7.6. So a better result in uh, life expectancy and infant mortality for a much lower cost. Um, So that's like generally the Israeli health system. Yeah, I mean, that that sounds very interesting. I think you mentioned a couple of really interesting points. I think competition or kind of competition uh, by the insurers, by the HMOs. I think you mentioned also positive lists, if I would translate that, um, Mm -hmm. which is happening for the, I think you called it the universal coverage, right? But the decisions which need to be included there. And then I think um, very interesting also, I mean, you mentioned the cost efficient kind of system. And I think the numbers you have just as well said, I think are, are quite let's say promising. Um, I would imagine, I mean, if we start a bit with that coverage kind of system, right, that this cost efficiency might also come maybe from that reimbursement process. So can you, again, here describe a bit how new treatments, drugs, maybe also medical devices, if there's maybe a difference, um, would come in onto that positive list in order to be covered by the HMOs? Yes, of course. If as a pharma company, you have a new drug that you would like access to the Israeli market, then first there's a process of uh, registering the drug. Uh, So it's a process where you submit your file to the Ministry of Health that has all of the, let's call it the the regular things that you need to write in a file submission, like clinical evidence, and uh, of course that the drug is safe, uh, showing uh, showing that from uh, the different uh, trials. And uh, in at this point, uh, you're not talking about the cost of the drug, just that it is safe and that it is uh, shows uh, efficiency or uh, that it is effective. And it takes about. Uh, 12 months to register the drug and then um, the ministry for another month uh, or two approves a price uh, for the drug for the list and this is done by uh, external referencing like uh, some of the European countries also use this kind of uh, quote from other countries Uh, so that is the process in Israel of uh, there's a list for the price for the a drug, and it's by this kind of a complex formula of a quoting from several countries and taking a kind of the low average of three of seven uh, countries. Um, so quoting that and making that the maximum price for the consumer in Israel. And then you can launch the drug in Israel. So that's a registration process. And then the pharma company Uh, can decide whether it goes to direct negotiation with uh, the four HMOs, 
I mean, at this point, uh, it's just sold on the, let's call it the private uh, market in the pharmacies. And then the uh, pharma company can decide whether they want to negotiate directly with the four HMOs uh, to sell it at the price negotiated, or if it wants to go to the uh, official reimbursement process uh, through the National uh, Health Basket Committee uh, and to go into negotiation with uh, basically the Ministry of Health with the four HMOs together. And I can explain this process. Uh, that takes about a year. Okay, got you. So, so overall, if, if I got it right, you need mm-hmm. a bit more than two years to have it universally covered. Is that, is that correct? Yes, yes. First, you need to register it, which yeah. takes about a year. Mm-hmm. And then you need to apply for the reimbursement if you want exactly that it's, it will be in the universal coverage. Then it, you need to apply for the reimbursement. And that's a process that also takes about a year, yes, exactly. Okay. Um, and, and, and could you also maybe shed some light on, uh, on the point, is the drug then also already available? after um, it went through the registration process. And I think what you said also, the Ministry of Health needs to, uh, let's say, set a maximum price um, for, or let's say, within one to two months after registration. Or is, is that rather probably too far to say? Uh, no, it's, it's exactly like that. In um, about a bit more than uh, one year, uh, the drug is available on the market uh, for either with that maximum uh, price that the Minister of Health uh, sets according to this uh, uh, external referencing system. Mm-hmm. Um, it is on the market. It could be available in the pharmacies, in private pharmacies, uh, for people to purchase it with private insurance or out of a pocket, or for the pharma company to negotiate directly with the HMOs for the price, I mean, for the price between the pharma company and the HMO, what would be the income of the pharma company on this drug. And then, uh, and there are pharma companies who decided not to go to the reimbursement, but of course the majority decide to go to the reimbursement uh, process. Yeah, got you, got you. And um, still, let's say sticking a bit with that first, let's say price anchor, if you want to call it, is, is the external reference pricing, as you said, and then obviously the lowest prices across a basket of countries the only decision driver or are there as well some flexibilities within that system um no it's uh, it's a maximum price that uh, is set according to this uh, quotation okay. um it's not according uh, for example to some uh, um that if the drug is a, a very efficient, very innovative, then you can take a premium price over what is the price in in the, in the European countries. The, the quotation is from European countries. Uh, the maximum price will be this kind of low average from some European countries. Got you, got you, okay. Okay, yeah, I, th- I think that that makes sense. I mean, how you how you described it. Um, if you then go that further step, I mean, from that maximum price and then more into the, as I think, um, the, the negotiation for the universal coverage, 
Um, are there any other decision drivers in there? For example, are any health economic data important? Yes. So the um, okay, maybe I'll I'll just um, say about the reimbursement process generally. And yes, there there are in the reimbursement process. There you have more of a quality and quantitative decision uh, factors that affect the decision uh, for the price. And actually, even if it is actually to the basket, because uh, many of the drugs uh, that apply for uh, the basket do not enter because of limitations on the budget. So the um, Okay, so the reimbursement process, which takes about a year, is that the pharma company uh, submits uh, its uh, application in the beginning of the year, by the end of February, with, again, all of the things that are generally in this kind of process, including uh, showing HUR uh, evidence of budget impact and calculation uh, with uh, quality, of the impact of this uh, drug uh, in this kind of economic uh, aspects. And of course, everything, all of the clinical evidence that was shown also in the registration process and maybe more that uh, the pharma company got over that year of process. So the application is until the end of February. And then there's a process within the Ministry of uh, Health with other members, with HMOs, and with uh, key opinion leaders in the fields where that have speciality on, uh, let's say, diabetes or in other drugs like that, that give their input. Uh, because, for example, a pharma company uh, said that this is the number of uh, patients they expect to be using this drug over a year to calculate the budget impact. And then you'll have an HMO that says, no, we think the number will be higher or lower, and, and according to that, there's a certain budget impact. So you have the, that process uh, going on from uh, March uh, on one hand, the health uh, technology assessment process and your economic process that is done in a subcommittee of the basket committee for about six months. And then in October, the National Health Basket Committee uh, starts its discussions with the results of this uh, HTA and uh, HUR processes uh, that are done by the uh, people at the Ministry of Health with the other uh, people from the HMOs and from the community. And in the Basket Committee, you have discussions over uh, about three months, October, November and December of the year to decide which drugs and which technologies will actually enter the basket. And every year you have a budget for mm -hmm. all of this innovation that you would like to, to put into the universal coverage. Uh, the last uh, couple of years, it's been around 500 million shekels, which is about $160 million. Uh, million. Mm -hmm. But... Um, uh, of course, the problem is that there are more innovation than the budget allows. So it's, um, it depends on the year, but you can say that uh, something like 20, 25% of uh, the application, mm -hmm. of the applications 
I actually enter the basket at the end. And I'm talking about more of the budget impact when calculating all of it. Um, for example, for 20, uh, for during 2021, I mean, um, this year, what is in the process right now, for 2022, there are 650 uh, drugs, applications of drugs, and 65 new technologies that applied and going through this process that I just uh, described. And after the committee sits for many days on uh, the decision, they approve a list or they recommend a list that the Minister of Health approves uh, for which drugs and which technologies will actually enter the, the basket for the next coming years. Okay, very good. So it, it's basically also a bit, uh, let's say, foreseeing and I think quite, I would say adequately planning for the future, which I think the positive thing, the negative might be maybe that given the timelines, it might also be a bit lacking, right? Uh, behind, um, let's say, direct availability, even though that if I take the process directly, I mean, it, it is anyway available to the patients at least um, after the registration and the price is set by the Ministry of Health. Yes. It's already available on the market, but um, many of the drugs, their, their cost is uh, significant. Like one example would be a kind of cancer uh, treatment that for the uh, private patient uh, would be uh, very expensive. But for the entire uh, community, okay, for the entire uh, basket would be actually a small cost because of the number of people uh, that actually have that uh, either cancer or anyway that the treatment fits that number of people. So that's an example of something that makes sense to put into the basket out of those 500 million uh, Israeli shekels a year. But again, that uh, kind of treatment will be competing with other treatments that tell the kind of same story. Mm-hmm. and have the kind of same story of uh, the population. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. Um, I mean, w- when a company went through the process and just saying there was the, the positive decision to be added to the universal coverage list, um, and suddenly, let's say, there is a significant change in prices um, within the reference-priced countries of Israel. Is there any kind of renegotiation or, or and also linked to that, a monitoring of th- those other prices? Or is it just one-off process and then the process basically stops because the product is in the coverage list? Um, if the drug enters the basket in this process of reimbursement, then part of the process during uh, either the... Um, from the beginning, the, the pharma company, when it applies, promises a certain price that, of course, it's under the maximum price uh, that is set on the list uh, from the process before. Or during the process, uh, during that year of the reimbursement uh, process that I described, there is a negotiation between the Ministry of Health uh, with the four HMOs and uh, the pharma company. And there's an offer of a contract for a set price of five years. So if it does enter the basket, if it is chosen out of the many applications, then for the next five years, there's a promised uh, price between the pharma company 
and the Ministry of Health, but then it's actually the four HMOs who actually pay for the for the treatment. Uh, that price is set. And there's no like pressure to lower the price because after three years, the, the drug uh, changes price in another country. Got you. Got you. I, th- I think that's, that's, I think, important. And I think has positive sides for, for both um, stakeholders, I would say. Mm. You mentioned also in the very early beginning that pharma companies could also decide to directly negotiate with the HMOs instead of, let's say, requesting um, universal coverage. Is there as well, firstly, I think, a process behind? And secondly, I think what I'm more looking for, if I think about from an economics perspective and um, around incentives, what would be the incentives for an HMO, but also for the pharma company? Because from my side, I would say, hmm, you know what? I mean, I know the process. The maximum price would have been set, um, or is maybe still already set by the Ministry of Health. Um, so, what is the incentive for both sides in order to go into an individual contract um, instead of having universal coverage decision? Um, there, it's not the majority of cases. Most of the pharma companies on most drugs go through the reimbursement process. But there, yes, but there are cases where it makes sense for at least one side or both sides to negotiate and not and for the company not to go to the reimbursement process. I can describe a few uh, examples. Uh, for example, if um, the drug is uh, very innovative, but uh, the cost per patient per month is not uh, high, then it's possible that the HMO would like to give that uh, treatment earlier and therefore negotiate directly with the pharma company. Also, in, in such a case, the pharma company has a um, has a kind of strong position in such a negotiation because it is giving this kind of, uh, this very innovative treatment that doesn't cost so much. Another example where the HMO may have more power in this kind of uh, negotiation is if there are several uh, other drugs that give the same uh, kind of effect at the same line of treatment, same indication, same same line of treatment, uh, but the other drugs cost uh, less than the drug that this pharma company uh, uh, offers, then um, according to the maximum price. The HMO may go into negotiation with the pharma company uh, to negotiate a lower price because it has all of these uh, alternatives that it's already using. So in such a case, the HMO would be the one uh, probably uh, starting this uh, negotiation with the pharma company. Okay, perfect. I think that was that was really great insight. It shows, I think, um, I would say the flexibility, the pragmatism, but also I think the clear structure and the clear kind of, let's say, frame um, of the process in order to get uh, reimbursement in Israel. Mm, to finalize and finish maybe this podcast episode, Mirel, um, mm-hmm. what would be your, let's say, core recommendation or let's say the best part of the Israeli system? Would you would say that would be great if maybe other countries would and could maybe as well take it over? Well, I'm a bit uh, biased as a uh, <laughs> health economist. I feel that the competition in Israel uh, is a key element in making this uh, system good, but also cost-effective. This kind of competition between the health funds and the hospitals compared to 
uh, countries where you have kind of one system that is in charge of giving the service within at least the region, or, then um, I feel that this kind of uh, competition between these sites makes the um, system more efficient while still giving really good results. Again, compared to the to the average in the OECD on different metrics, the Israeli health system gives a really good result. But at uh, sometimes uh, 20 and even uh, 30% lower cost in total, never mind also how much is it, of it is public. And in, it is very regulated. I, think, I feel it's a healthy competition uh, between the sides because it is very regulated. You do have a kind of frame and a benchmark of a default for how much an HMO will, will pay a hospital according to the level of, uh, of activity in that hospital. Mm-hmm. But you do have negotiation over that and you do have places, um, enough space to create uh, collaborations between the sites that benefit both sides, but still lowers the cost for the system. So again, as a health economist, I feel that this competition is, is a big part of uh, of making the Israeli health system uh, good. Perfect. Very good. Mirel, thank you very much for the insights. That was really great. And looking forward to maybe further discussions also in comparison between different healthcare systems. Thank you, Mirel. Thank you. My pleasure. Great summary today by Mirel Stellian on the Israeli healthcare and especially the market access and reimbursement process. I think um, when knowing some of the processes, especially in Europe, but also, for example, in the US, I think you can see already, I think it's a good mix of different approaches. I think you start with a regulatory component, which I think is similar to the European Union with the EMA, I would say, with the clear focus on the clinical evidence with safety, efficacy, and obviously having a look on the clinical evidence per se, so which kind of studies are in there, the process of around 12 months, what he said. And then that's the kind of key interesting part of of it. Uh, There is then a maximum price for reimbursement already set one to two months after the regulatory process. And this is then based on that, as Mirel said, um, equation for the low average of three of seven EU prices across those countries. After that, the launch is possible. However, what does launch mean at this point in time? This basically just simply means that patients could buy the product on their own, so privately, or they could cover it with an additional private health insurance. On the other hand, the pharmaceutical company could obviously take the opportunity and submit a case once a year. This is only possible by the end of February of a year uh, to get the product into the universal coverage, meaning that they would need to submit a full dossier, then also including besides the clinical evidence, also the health economic data like budget impact, like cost effectiveness and any other, as Mirel said, qualitative and quantitative arguments within the um, system. After that, then we're getting again, maybe in a bit of similarities, we have a process for a health technology assessment, which then also takes roughly eight months. So it's between February and October, so it's probably a bit less than eight months. And in October, the discussions might start. 
between the between the pharmaceutical company, the four HMOs, and the Ministry of Health. So that's a very interesting kind of component. Obviously, with the pharmaceutical company on one side, and then the let's say five stakeholders, four HMOs plus the Ministry on the other side. It's very important. Still, keep in mind you can negotiate a kind of price premium. Let's say generally, especially if a product is really better if it's big innovation, but importantly is still that this maximum price out of those three out of seven EU countries is still set and still valid. So this is the still the kind of ceiling and everything beyond that is clearly not possible. Meaning obviously that if you turn that, let's say from a uh, from a maybe gaming perspective as well, that you would probably firstly start and launching the product um, in those EU countries, especially the ones where you think you could achieve a higher price. And then you could probably approach as well Israel in order to optimize the price. That was an episode of MAP, the market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. MAP is available every second week with a new episode, so watch out. And in case you might have questions, contact me directly and or visit our website on www.marketaccess-pricingstrategy.de.